I'm with Ben Jordan, who is the Head of Policy at UCAS. Ben, can you tell us about the Journey to a Million campaign? Of course I can. Um, so the, the Journey to a Million itself is um, a relatively simple one on the, on the face of it. So we are projecting that by the end of the decade, we could see up to a million higher education applicants. Now, just for a sense of scale, back in 2006, we had half a million. And uh, present day, we have about three quarters of a million. So what we see in the next couple of years is really significant growth in demand for, for higher education. Now, this is largely powered by an increase in the 18-year-old population. So come 2030, we could have nearly 900,000 18-year-olds in the, in the UK population and also continued demand from international uh, students as well. Now, this journey to a million itself presents a range of challenges and opportunities across the entire student life cycle, ranging from that initial choice uh, and the competition for those choices to what the student experience looks like, to what the living experience looks like, but then ultimately what graduate employability looks like as well. Because ultimately, the journey to a million itself isn't necessarily an education issue, it's an economic issue. And what we're looking to do through the, the Journey to a Million campaign is really raise an awareness of what the, the Journey to a Million is and how we can seek to, to tackle those challenges, but also capitalize on those opportunities from this once in a generation event. And what we're looking to do is a, a series of essay collections. So we went out to a range of education leaders and asked that question, what does the journey to a million mean for your sector or section? And we've got around 50 essays that have come in to us, and we're releasing those across the summer in partnership with Unite and Night Frank. Well, first of all, I think a million is a, a huge number. It's hard to get your head around what a million applicants will mean. Can you just tease out maybe some of the, the key points of that? Of course I can. So like I said, that, that million, uh, I think it's really worth reflecting on that growth since the year 2000. So back in 2006, half a million higher education applicants, present day, three quarters of a million, and that real steep increase in demand leading to a million applicants by the end of this decade. But there's a number of implications in, in that because we're in a world at present where the vast majority of students get their first choice. A significant number of students get uh, all five offers from uh, universities. Both of those numbers will go down as competition seeks to increase. And I think ultimately one of the big challenges in relation to the journey to a million is that increasing competition for opportunities across the full range of post-secondary choices, whether that's an undergraduate option or, or an apprenticeship. And what we talk about in the, in the essay collection is how can we unlock the supply of opportunity for students as well? As we see this growth, how can we make sure that those students have high quality opportunities available to them? But equally, in a more competitive environment, how can we ensure that students and teaching advisors know how to navigate that increasingly competitive environment? But the journey to a million itself has implications in many more areas. So the student experience, for example, because more applicants is likely to bring with it more students. How do we ensure that they're having a high quality teaching experience within their chosen destination? But equally, how do we make sure that they have a, a high quality living experience as well? Recognizing that more applicants means more students, which ultimately means more students looking for places to live when they go to study in, in higher education. Yeah, and certainly where are they all going to live is a question that we get a lot when this comes up. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a really tricky one. And I think one of the reasons we're, we're really stimulating this national debate around Journey to a Million now is because we still have time to do something about this. Because many of the, the responses that will be needed will take time to action and, and implement. And accommodation is a key example of that. You can't just build new accommodation overnight. So you know, various steps will need to take place. 
But I think for us, one of the things that we have here at UCAS is a series of products and services that we can use to help people understand what, what this growth in demand means. And we have a, an accommodation-specific product that looks at what is the growth in demand for accommodation in a region or an individual university to help people understand what that future planning might need to entail. Uh, but it's a really, really challenging situation, which is why we're raising this discussion now. Many of the recommendations we'll be making as a result of the report will be looking at that supply and demand of opportunity, that supply and demand of facilities that are needed to support the positive student experience, but also thinking about how we mitigate the, the impact of competition, but ultimately how we seek to protect widening participation. Because I think one of the biggest challenges we have in relation to the journey to a million is that inevitably you might see the most disadvantaged students squeezed out in this more competitive environment. And it's absolutely key that we seek to protect their interests in this growing demographic. It, it would be easy to see this as universities doing a thing that benefits universities and growing because they want to, but it's not. It's about meeting demand, isn't it? It's about dealing with it, as you said at the beginning, about dealing with an economic issue and a demographic issue it will be different again in 20 years time but this is where we are and it's about planning workforce planning training planning we're seeing this growth in demand for higher education and we're seeing that significant growth in the coming years towards the end of the decade now it's unlikely that that growth in demand will be met by a growth in opportunities in the place that the open market would normally seek them so there's a need for us to really communicate the full range of post-secondary choices to students to make sure they're aware of all of their options whether that be an undergraduate choice an apprenticeship online learning, for example. You've also got the LLE, uh, the Lifelong Learning Entitlement, coming along the, the horizon in relation to this journey towards the 2030. So we need to make sure we're communicating all of those choices. But we're also making sure that we need to communicate what that competition means as well, because some students will have to recalibrate some of their choices as well. Like I said, we're in a world where the majority of students get their first choice and a significant number receive five offers. Both of those numbers will decline as we approach the, the journey to a million. So there is a real need for us to think about not only the options that students have got in terms of pathways, but how they're navigating those choices as well and, and calibrating those choices. But I think ultimately what we want to ensure is that the growth in applicant demand doesn't lead to a decline in the student experience, which is why we're stimulating this conversation today. We want to make sure that students continue to have a, a really positive campus experience. We want to ensure they have a high quality apprenticeship experience. We want to make sure that they feel that those opportunities are available to them. And we want to make sure that they have a high quality living experience. Um, all of those things will be put under pressure as we see demand increase, which is why we're starting this discussion today about how we can increase those, those opportunities. I think that's a really key point, Ben. But I'm just really interested in your view of the role of schools and further education, because I think it would be tempting to see them as kind of passive actors in this, just the pipeline. But it, it seems that maybe they have quite a strong role to play, not just in preparing students for the landscape as that is developing, but also the knowledge they have about this cohort and particularly post-pandemic, what the needs and the interests are of the successive cohorts coming through between now and 2030. No, I agree. I, so I think schools and FE colleges have a, a really significant role to play in relation to the, the journey to a million. I think that, that role comes in a, a number of different forms. So firstly, adjusting the careers information advice and guidance they give to students as we see uh, the market change. Because for me, this is the biggest change in the, in the market since the release of the student number controls back in 2012. We really will start to see change in the market because since that point, the market has largely been shaped by a declining 18-year-old population. And this is where we really start to see that increase. So I think there's a huge role for schools and colleges to think about how do we give the students the information about what the likelihood of those choices are and how competitive it is. 
But equally, how do we ensure that schools and colleges are well placed to communicate the full range of post-secondary choices to the students and presenting all of those options in a single location? And many of you will be aware that UCAS's Department for Education has recently announced an acceleration of our apprenticeship ambitions, where we'll put apprenticeships and undergraduate choices side by side for students. So I think there's a key role there in terms of careers information advice and guidance, and also uh, the pathways that they're communicating. I think for FE colleges as well, there's a key role there in terms of their provision, because with that growth in applicant demand, people will need to be aware of those different pathways. So thinking about the roles of FE colleges with level four or level five qualifications or higher technical qualifications, ensuring that students understand those options there as well. Because FE colleges are in a really, really interesting spot here, both as a a supplier of students, but also a receiver of students as well. So an absolute key role. And I think one of the key roles here at UCAS that we have to articulate is it's really easy to say things are going to become quite competitive or more competitive. But what does that mean for an individual? And what does that mean in the context of 750,000 to a million. So looking to quantify that in some way. So again, we have a a range of tools for students, such as our grades on entry tool that helps students understand what their chances of getting to a particular university might be. Really interesting when you're talking there about further education, because 15 years ago, and this was an area that I worked in, there was quite a lot of activity around progression agreements for further education, particularly that level four and five provision. And that seems to have sort of dwindled a little since then. Is there a, a role for more of that to give that sort of more structured pathways into perhaps more vocational higher education opportunities? I think there absolutely is. And I think this is something that Scotland does really well in terms of articulation as well. Looking at the, the proliferation of routes available to students. So if you think about the fact that students now are, are considering uh, higher technical qualifications, they're thinking about higher and degree apprenticeships. You've also got a growing pipeline of T-level students. I think we are seeing a, a more mature technical education pathway develop. And you put in the LLE as well. It's fundamentally designed to, to support the skills system. I think there's a real need for us to ensure that that pathway is, is understood. When we speak to students about their understanding of different routes, we see that the undergraduate pathway is, is really well understood, whereas actually the, the vocational technical pathway isn't. But equally, when we speak to teachers and advisors as well, the vast majority of teachers are really confident talking about undergraduate pathways, but less confident talking about apprenticeships. And what we need to do is ensure that there is that confidence and there is that visibility of those pathways, because ultimately by having that visibility, students will be able to make much better choices. And as competition increases as a result of the journey to a million, that only becomes more important. That's fantastic. Ben, is there anything else that you wanted to say that I haven't asked you about? So we haven't really touched upon international a huge amount. I mean, there's a lot of different questions I could ask on that. One is about the, I suppose, how predictable international intakes are going to be. And I suppose the second one is around postgraduate internationals who, for student accommodation, are actually quite a big cohort, but they're not part of your journey to a million because that's about undergraduates. So we are projecting at present that we will see a a 60% increase in demand from international students. Now, the international market itself is hugely volatile. And I think if you think about we are in a a context where global markets are starting to open up post-pandemic, we've seen some some really quite aggressive moves in, in Australia in relation to the international student recruitment market. If you think about the geopolitics that can impact progression of international students quite quickly, we are in a, a volatile market. Now, what we've done in the Journey to a Million publication is not only talked about this projection of, of 60%, but we've also talked extensively about the disruptors and what might happen if we see the UK's market share increase or decrease, for example. I think one of the key things that we see is that China continuing to be a real core area 
in relation to international student recruitment. But equally, at the January deadline this year, we did see a slight decline in Chinese applicants. And there's a number of reasons for that. But some commentators have talked about, have we hit or are we starting to, to hit peak China as well? So it's something we'll continue to monitor in future years as we progress closer towards 2030. But I think there's a, a key consideration there around postgraduate as well, because the journey to a million is really looking at entry into to level four. But that is only part of the story when you think about international student recruitment. And you consider the, the significant number of international students within the UK, that again is just a, an additional pressure on facilities such as uh, student support services, but also accommodation. And again, we have a number of services uh, here at UCAS, including our, our Myriad service, that looks to support that international student looking at postgraduate options and what life might be like as an international postgraduate student in the UK. That's great. Thank you so much, Ben.